And now, a Breakthrough Basketball original podcast, The Jim Huber Show. After basketball, his dream is to become a rodeo clown. Jim Huber. Hey, everybody. Oh, it is hard work being this good. I was like, ow. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like a, a big choo-choo train. We join the Jim Huber Show, already in progress. I did that with not having any type of medication. <laughs> well, tell us about today's guest, Jimmy. Got Scott Simpson on the phone, and Scott is actually a buddy of mine. We met, what, back at the uh, KU basketball camp? When was that, Scott? Like 1960. It was 19, what, about 93, 94? Ted Owens. So Scott was at a junior college coaching basketball at that time. Stayed in contact with him, and really what's interesting about Scott is he's coached at the NBA level. You get it asked a lot, Troy, from parents. It's like, you know, what, what program should my kid play in? Or how do I get my kid recruited? So I was talking to Scott recently, and we are in a conversation, and, and we talked about it, and I just he had some great insights and a lot of experience, so I thought it would be great to bring him on and just dialogue and give some information for people to understand really how to find that right program. Well, guys, I first want to start by uh, thanking you for having me. Um, incredibly humbled at the opportunity, and you, know, you guys have listened to your podcast, and you've done a fantastic job not only entertaining people but educating them as well. It's a difficult task. So uh, just honored to be here. You know, I will tell you, when I first met Jim, so we, w- we must have been in our early 20s, and my first impression was, man, this guy must really work hard, and he must know a lot because he's worked so hard he has no hair. <laughs> Did you guys talk before the show started, you and Troy? Because that's Troy's like, that's his daily joke, and it kind of gets old now. That's the first yeah, one I heard It never from gets you. old. No, it never gets oh, old, God. Scott. I like this guy. I will say this, though, seriously. Jim is about as intentionally relational with his players and coworkers as anybody I've been around. Um, I always know, you know, Jim was kind of the first guy. This may sound funny, but he was kind of the first guy that, like, from a friendship standpoint, every time I would see him, would just give me a big hug, and I'd feel welcomed. Um, and so anytime I hug one of my players, I think about Jim. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but 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 Scott, uh, you know, I feel the same way throughout the years of you know keeping in touch. I feel like uh, that's why we stay connected and get along, um, even if we haven't talked to each other for a while. That you have that, that same mentality. You're coaching. You're doing it for the right reasons of developing um, young men and women to to grow up to have success in life and and to be better through the experience with you. So. That's why I'm excited to, to get you on the line. I guess to start into this, now, Scott, if you had a parent come up to you and they said, hey, what program should my kid play for? You know, there's, there's really, in my mind, five motivations for seeking out a team or a club in any sport for your kid. The first, uh, you know, is it going to be recreation? Are you looking for recreational fun for your child? The second would be character development. You know, are you wanting your child to really learn from this experience of how to fail, how to be successful, how to be a part of a team, how to have to make sacrifices for a group? Um, the third would be technical development. And as we kind of go down this list, you see you're getting a little bit more advanced. And so technical development obviously would be skill training, so ball handling and shooting and passing. Um, then you move on to number four in my mind, and that's, that's the tactical development. How do you take the skills that you've learned, and apply it tactically into a team. And then the fifth and final thing is how do you get exposure? 
you know, what club can you be a part of where you feel like your child is not only going to develop, but be able to take those tools that they've learned and, and play in front of somebody that is potentially going to want to evaluate them to play at the next level. Well, I go back to, I feel that the parents, a lot of times, it's their goals, it's their dreams, it's their passions. And sometimes they're trying to press that upon their child, or they think they know what their child wants. And as you mentioned, sometimes their child might want to just play on a team with their friends and have fun and enjoy their experience. So until you kind of, to me, like I tell parents a lot, find out what your child really wants. Sit down with them. Have a conversation. Have them write it down. So you're on the same page, and then you can help guide and navigate them and find those maybe experiences or organizations that can help them get what they want. That's a great point. That's a great point. You know, I always tell parents, you need to be involved, but not in control. Mm-hmm. And I think what you just said is brilliant. You, you've got to ask questions. Um, you know, I try to tell them, be a consultant, not their agent. And, and, so, and, and that's difficult, I think, and especially in this day and age, because I think from my perspective, it seems like parents are a lot more involved in our culture today yeah. than they were back when, we, when you and I were growing up and Troy was growing up. What would you tell a parent? What kind of questions would they, if they're sitting down with their child, what would they ask them? I think a great question would be, from, a, from an athletic standpoint, again, it depends on age, but what, what do you, why do you want to go participate in a sport? Because predominantly we're talking about pay-for-play type scenarios. And so parents are having to make sacrifices for the kids to go play. And it's like, okay, well, why do you want to play? Well, A, Jimmy's playing, and I want to go play with Jimmy, and he's a good friend. It's a great reason. Um, B, you know, I really like this sport. I've been playing it on the playground at school. Um, you know, I want, I want to give it a try. Again, another great answer. You know, it could be C, hey, Dad played this sport, and I want to be able to connect with Dad a little bit more. Um, and, and so I think the, the question of why do you want to play, then once you've got the answer to that question, then I really think you've got to reach out in some capacity in the community and do your research and ask questions and find out, okay, well, if that's what my child wants to do, and again, we're talking about the passion in the game developmental stage, then I've got to find somebody or talk to enough people to find the individual who is going to take my child because, let me back up a little bit, every kid in my mind should be able to have the opportunity to develop a skill set in a game that they are that they enjoy or are passionate about or want to explore. And I think in a lot of cases what's happening is we are weeding kids out who potentially could be great players yes. because their first experience is they go to a tryout and they're 10 or 11 years old and they get rejected at the tryout mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're like, well, you know what, I don't want to go play that sport where they could be incorporated into that league or that, that sport and maybe put on a different team, but the communication could be such that, hey, look, we see a lot of potential in you, but from an experience standpoint, you don't have necessarily what these other couple of kids have, but don't give up on us. We want you to be a part of what we're doing and get that kid to feel needed. And so that then, you know, because, again, by the age of about 13 or 14, especially for boys, you start to see – that physical separation uh, between the kids that are athletic and really athletic and the kids that maybe aren't as athletic, and even from a skill set standpoint. And so if we can keep those kids that are in that 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old just playing, um, I think it's great because it gives kids an opportunity to then continue to explore and potentially be great. I tell this story all the time. We were coaching at a club team. This was about 
three years ago, had a club team playing at the national tournament down at um, Disney, AU. And I sat down, and the game before us was going on. I had an 11th grade team. It was an 8th grade game going on. And it was a Division One game. And there was a team from Arkansas playing a team from, I want to say Georgia. It was another team from the South. And there was one kid on the floor who was clearly undersized. He was clearly less athletic. And as I sat and watched this game that was midway through the second quarter, I watched about 30 seconds of it, and I was looking at this kid, and I thought, man, this poor kid is out of place, completely out of place. And, I mean, you know, in eighth grade, some of these kids in the Division One level, they're 6'3", 6'4", 6'5". This kid must have been 5'5". Jim, he comes down the court in the next four or five possessions. He rips off 11 straight points for his team. <laughs> and the next pl- – and the pass – and he makes a pass, a no-look pass to a post player for an assist for points 12 and 13. And I thought, this kid's skill set is off the chart. And here's a kid where if when he was 10 or 11, you sized him up athletically with everyone else there, and you put him in a bad environment, I strongly believe that kid would have been like, okay, I'm going to go play baseball, or I'm going to go play something else. But he continued to work, and it's his skill set that set him apart from the rest of the But team. don't you think, though, Scott, here, here's what I talk to Troy a lot about, is his parents are so focused on getting their kid on like an elite team they got to be on an elite team at the fifth grade, sixth grade level, and that might not be the best thing for their kid. Which is why every team in the tournament is called elite. Well, they're all called elite. Whether it's elite in your town, elite in your city, elite in your I community, saw, elite whatever. I, I saw don't an know. elite team sure. get beat by about 65 yeah, points last week. Elite name. But, but going back to it, I feel that sometimes having your kid on a different team that's maybe not elite or the coach doesn't have a win-at-all-cost mentality – will help that individual grow, develop, create a passion, as you mentioned, a love for the game. Not every kid needs to be on an elite team. You couldn't be more right about that. I think one of the biggest things is for coaches to be clear and honest with kids, but to be, especially at the young ages, exceptionally um, encouraging. And for them, I just had a conversation with a guy the other day, and, and he was telling me about his kid and how he made a turn. And the reason this kid made a turn was because he felt needed. And when a kid is a part of a program and he's being coached by an individual who makes them feel wanted, makes them feel needed in the overall success of the program, that kid wants to come back to the next practice. And once you get him back and you get him back again and you get him back again and yeah, I think it was John Wooden who said, you know, there's no greater discipline than repetition. Those kids, all of a sudden, it starts to snowball with those kids because you've encouraged them and you've made them feel needed. And I think those are two of the biggest things that seeking out a coach. Your experience with that program is going to be related to your coach, the coach of that team. And there's some coaches in programs that aren't very good. And there's some yep. of them that are really good. So I think it's important to me, if I like I talked to Troy about, is who's coaching your son? Who, who is that person going to be? Absolutely. You know, it was Billy Graham who said one coach will impact more young people in a year than the average person does in a lifetime. And, and I think that reason is, you know, when you think about why coaches have an impact, number one, the players want to be there. Players don't always want to be in algebra class, students. They don't necessarily want to be in math class or science class. The second reason is coaches have information that kids want to be able to be successful. They want to know what the coach knows. Um, But I think the third reason 
is really the most important reason, and that is that coaches grade players on a public scale. Everything is public. So whether that kid gets playing time, whether that kid gets chastised for making a bad pass, whether that kid gets encouraged or complimented for you know making a great stop defensively, all of that is public. And, and a kid's failure or success is seen by parents and, and friends and teammates. And I think that's the biggest reason why coaches can make or break players. What are questions, Scott, that you would ask, that you'd recommend parents should ask a club about their program? Well, the first one, I think, any club uh, ought to have some sort of plan in place for safety of their participants. That's absolutely number one, most important thing. Um, the second thing I would say is, you know, what kind of instruction are you giving the kids? You know, is, is, is this a situation where we're going to come and be a part of this team and you're going to roll the ball out and they're going to play five-on-five five all practice? Are we going to have a set, you know, a, a session of skill development and then they're going to go into smaller games and then maybe into five-on-five? Five? Um, so, you know, the quality of instruction, I think, is, is huge. The third thing I would say, too, is, you know, clubs ought to provide, how are you providing competitive gameplay for every kid that's here? Because, again, it doesn't make any sense to go join a club or be on this great team and go tell everyone, hey, my son made, you know, the A team of whatever club, but he's not playing. Mm-hmm. He's not getting any competitive experience. But he got a great gym bag. Yeah. And some but free yeah, shoes. He got great shoes. gear. Yeah. Exactly, Troy. Exactly. You know, and so the clubs ought to be able to provide a competitive experience for every player. Um, and I'll give you a, 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 a small example, not to name names. There was a kid here in Orlando a couple years ago who, in my mind, was a high major basketball player. And he went and played on the elite of the elite teams. Well, this team was stacked. And so he really didn't get the exposure at a crucial time the summer after his junior year that he needed. And he ended up not getting the offers he thought he was going to get. Everything worked out. He ended up at a great school and had an incredible freshman year. And everybody's looking at him going like, man, that kid could have played at a higher level. But the problem was he was stuck on the bench because he wasn't on the right team. You know, and, and another important thing I think is a question to ask is, as to a club is, how do you guys communicate? There's all these great apps now like Team Snap, and I think there's another one that's even competing with them. You know, how do you guys communicate to players? How do you communicate to parents? Um, you know, how do we know scheduling? How do we know what's – what's being said, and and I tell parents this all the time too, schedule a time to go to practice and watch practice with a coach. A coach should not fear having parents at a practice. Now, so they should allow a parent to come watch practice. Now, what I do tell parents is this, though. Your kid in a practice is very different when you're there than when you're not there. You want your kid to be in an environment where a coach is, is allowing your child to fail. And sometimes parents, when they watch their children fail in a practice, that's hard for them to see. And a lot of times kids will look over to the sideline, oh, I hope dad didn't see that. I hope mom didn't see that. Would you say it's better, Scott, as as if you had to black and white one way or the other? Is it better to let them go and not go to these practices? I would say yes. You would not want them there at all if you're going to choose one or the other. But that's if 
you trust the coach in the organization. Right. I go back. I go back to yep. that, and I would say, Scott, this: if I'm a parent, once I figure out the program my child is going to play for, I want to go to some of the practices. I want to see how they run. And exactly. I want to see, like, you know, how the coach is interacting with them. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to say anything. But I'm going to sit back and just evaluate. Because there's sometimes I've seen people say they're going to do things a certain way, and they don't. And people, like like a workout person, they'll give money to a workout person, don't even see how they're working out their child and just give money. I want to see what they're doing. And if they're doing a really good job and I gain that trust, then, yeah, I don't have to be there. But I, I want to make sure there's value for what we're doing. Let me ask Absolutely. you this. Should I be worried if my uh, coach wears a baseball cap backwards during the game? <laughs> <laughs> during the game? Um, or to the side, uh, tilted to the side, the baseball cap. Is that a good? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Now we're we talking about basketball. Yes. Is this baseball? Yes, what you is see this? it every tournament. Uh, you see the guy with the baseball yeah. cap on sideways, and I just yeah. wondered, is that? That's where you need Bobby Knight to come in. Where he had that tryout at Texas Tech with the kid well, had a baseball hat on. What's going? Speaking on of Bobby here? Knight, I I, I, w- I, w- I would quote him on this question, and I would just you know Bobby Knight said some people's only purpose in life is to set the bad example for the rest of us not to follow. So maybe that maybe maybe that applies to that situation. I don't know. Hey, let me ask you this: My son is going into his senior year, but now he's getting these emails. Hey, Nick Slavin, this is your invite to go to such-and-such such exposure camp and blah, blah, blah. Are these worth the time? How many of them are rip-offs out of 10 that he gets? How many are legit? What's your feel for this? My initial reaction to all of those things, literally all of them, is that they're all money-making opportunities for the people that are running them. And the reason I say that is because there are a lot of ways, and I'm speaking to not only the basketball, but, but the experience I've had in the soccer world, for kids to get exposure and not have to go to those things. So, for example, you know, if you're around a high school coach or a club coach that is honest with you and your ability, then you've got a pretty good idea where your son or daughter has an opportunity to play. And once you've got that level kind of narrowed down, at that point you can do the work to say, hey, look, if you can play at the Division II level and we're looking at maybe kind of the mid-level Division II, well, let's look at what are some of the schools that are in that level. Okay, well, here they are, A, B, C, and D. You know, you got Rollins, you got Barry down here in, in Florida. Um, and let's call a couple of those coaches in areas where you think you might be interested in going to college. And then let's send them directly some film. Let's let our AAU or our high school coach send them film directly. and Or go to one of their ID camps that they have in the summer. And I think that's a great idea for kids, especially the summer of their soft, after their sophomore year, is go to a school-specific camp that they potentially have interest in. Right. And you're going to get a lot more exposure. And again, even if you can't play at that level, typically those coaches know somebody. Don't they know somebody. Right. And not only that, it's okay for them to be honest. Right. Because they don't have anything at stake necessarily. Um, but they might say, "Hey, look, you're not good enough to play here at Florida Southern. I mean, we just won the national championship. You're pretty good. But you may be, you know, you may be able to go up to Lee McCray." and play in, in North Carolina. And then I know the guy there. You want me to put you in contact with him? I think those are better fits for kids, especially kids that aren't going to play at a high high major level. When kids are fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and they're in these young grades and they have these high-rising evaluation-type camps and whatever, yeah, they're moneymakers. There is no way you're going to tell me no college coach cares who the you know, top 100 fifth graders are in the country. They don't care. 
All right, so they're not looking at those lists. And you got some individuals in there evaluating. I've seen some of the evaluators in there. I'm like, you're evaluating these kids. What gives you the expertise to do this? And they're writing up certain things, almost like standard and giving it to them. And, and these parents and kids get so caught up in it. And to me also, it develops more of an elitist, entitled mindset with these kids. It's like, oh, I'm a top 100 kid in the region as a fifth grader, sixth grader. And it's like, and then kids start to think they're better than they are. They're not working hard. I just think that is a waste of money, a waste of time. Why do you think that you mentioned that our sport is more fragmented than the other sports and, and clubs spring up and they disappear overnight and et cetera? Why doesn't basketball have its act together like volleyball, like soccer? Basketball, unlike volleyball, soccer, baseball, football, the clubs are very fragmented. Uh, so you may have a great opportunity in Kansas City Whereas in Orlando or Atlanta or Miami or Daytona, you might not have that same opportunity. And it's not publicized as well as it is with those other sports. And so when it comes to basketball, you can't just call the AAU and say, hey, I want to be on a, a good team that you know, has some clear and honest communication and is structured and has been around for a couple of years. Those, those programs just... They're, they're really hard to find, and they, they're here one minute and they're gone the next. And there's not a lot of stability on the basketball side. So when people ask me that question, the first thing I say to them, or the first question I ask them is, how old is their child? Because, you know, when you're in it recreationally, you have the opportunities like the YMCA, which is pretty much nationwide. You have upward basketball. And so those are great leagues to kind of get started from the ages of, of say, eight until probably around 12 or 13 when a kid starts to really own his ability and passion for the game. Then once you get to that point and you're looking for a more competitive experience, that's where it gets really cloudy. So when you talk about AAU, anybody can form a club. I mean, Jim, when you, when you and I grew up, and when I was here in Orlando as a high school kid, there was one AAU team. Yeah. There's probably 30 now. To get in contact with anybody that's got stability is just so difficult. And it, Except, and I'm in this one exception, except when you're talking about very, very young youth basketball. And I, you know, and I ran a club for uh, four years here in Orlando, and one of our things was is we were trying to provide some stability. And it ended up that once you provide an environment where kids enjoy participating, more and more kids want to be a part. And unfortunately, we didn't have at the time the structure in place to be able to just continually accept kids. And we got to a point where we almost got too big for where we were. And unfortunately for me, my two kids stopped playing. And so once they stopped playing, everything that we kind of did fizzled out. Um, but it can be done. It's just somebody's got to have the passion and uh, the, the resources to be able to make it happen. Now, once you, once you find the club, the organization you're going to play for, and they have a coach that your son or daughter is going to play for, what questions are you going to ask the coach? Well, obviously, what is, what is your background? Um, where have you played? Where have you coached? Um, I, you know, I think a huge question to ask coaches, and, and this maybe seems very off, top, off topic, is do you have children of your own? Because I think that a lot of what I learned and how to deal relationally with kids came from having my own kids. And I know, Jim, you and I, when we were coaching together young, 
I definitely didn't look at my players as my own children. No. Now, man, when I look at my, a player I'm coaching, it's just like it's my kid. You know, I have a three-year-old and, and a, a nine-month-old. And the last three years, I'm telling you, the way I've coached has been very different. Well, and coaching and parenting are so seminal, similar. You know, and this isn't a parenting podcast, but, I mean, the similarities are just – there's too, too many to name. Um, you know, and so those are, those are good questions. I think how long have you been with the club? And, and, and what's interesting from what I've seen around this area is that typically you'll have a coach for a season – and then the next season, these kids end up with a different coach, which is good to some extent, but to some extent it's bad too because these kids need to have some continuity from a relational standpoint to continue to build confidence in who they are and what their game is. And so one of the things that we did in the four-year period with our club was one coach would coach a team for two years and then somebody else would take, take them. Because then it would give a different voice to those kids. They get in the routine. They they become disciplined in what they're doing. Um, they get to really know the kids. And again, after two years of playing club basketball with somebody, man, you know if you've got a great coach that you've got a strong relationship between the players and the coaches. I, I think also too, like asking questions, I would ask the coach like, "What's your philosophy on playing time?" You know, are, are all the kids like, say it's a pay to player, are all the kids going to play, or are you just going to play a certain amount of kids? I'd probably even ask Scott is, is you know, while you're doing it, are you going to teach man-to-man defense? Are you just going to teach zones? Uh, conceptually, what are you going to do offensively? Are you going to just run a bunch of plays? Are you going to teach kids how to play? And sure. Then, like, what's your structure of practice? Because that, that's such a key in, at a young age is, like, really, are they focused on developing them for the long term or are they focused on the short term, the now, and the successes, the medals, and the trophies? I think that's, that's something that would be important to ask as well. That, no, that's great, and, and that's the difference between player development and, and team development. I had a kid who was playing up on my 11th grade team. He was a 10th grader, and this kid was a lights-out shooter. He was a brother of one of the 11th graders, and I would sub him in, and we would run a zone sideline out-of-bounds play for him to get a shot in the corner. And so I sub him in, and he drills the shot. You know, and athletically and size-wise, he wasn't where these kids were. But, man, you ought to see this kid's face light up from a confidence standpoint. Now, that was for the individual. It wasn't necessarily for the team. He ends up making the shot. Well, so later in the game, we do the same. We run the same play, and I sub him in. He drills the shot in the corner again. Okay? So, again, we made a sacrifice for the team that would benefit the individual. Toward the end of the game, okay, we've run the same set twice. We're down by, I think we're down by about four. We needed or four or five late in the game. We needed, a, we needed a, a quick bucket, and we had to sideline out of bounds again. I sub him in, but we come off a timeout. And I said, listen, you're going to get this catch in the corner, but more than likely you're not going to get this shot again. So here's what we're going to do. Here's the counter. You're going to shot fake. You're going to take one dribble. The guy that set the pin for you is going to step up. You're either going to deliver it. You're going to either deliver it to him or there's going to be help down. You're going to deliver it to the wing. We're going to reverse it off of a flare screen, and we're going to have a wide-open shot on the wing. He's like, I'm good to go. Sub him in. We run the play. He catches in the corner, and he launches it. <laughs> okay? He scores it. He makes it, oh, right? Yeah. So he makes the shot. We end up down by one or two at the time. We don't get a stop on the other end. We end up losing the game, right? So I had to have a very real conversation <laughs> with this kid after the game. But here's where it got interesting. I had a parent come across the gym, 
and was upset with me that we ran that play for that individual at the end of the game for him to get that shot again, even though he made it. And I thought, okay, well, first of all, you have no idea what was said in that huddle. You know, because we, we always talk mm-hmm. about parents trying to coach on the sideline. Yeah. That individual, and I didn't get into the conversation with the parent, but that individual wasn't supposed to shoot that shot. Actually, the guy who was supposed to get the shot was your kid coming off the flare screen. <clears throat> what was their but, basis of argument for, well, you know, I mean, he made the shot. Well, you know, parents are the parents are idea looking at it like, why would he run something for that kid? He's not one of the better players. He why would he be own. running it for our best player, which is my son? Why wouldn't he be doing that? Sure. And again, what, what was their thing? You know, we, we, we ran it three times. Um, you know, you can make the argument on the third time that the shot was contested. The first two, it wasn't. But so their thing was more, again, parents, this is a Don Meyer one. This answers your question, Troy. Parents would rather their kid mm-hmm. be All-State than their kid's team win state. Yeah. And the coach's perspective on that is exactly the opposite. And I'm not saying from a parent standpoint that that's not okay. We all want our kids to be successful. But what are we trying to create in our kid? I mean, what, at, the, at the end of the day, what is the goal? Not every kid's going to play for a living, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, and I've never once seen a parent get his kid to college make his kid become a college player. I've never seen a parent make his kid do the things that made his kid become a great high school player. I've seen plenty of parents that have ruined relationships with their kids trying to do it. Yeah. So, you know, parents will look at that, and, and they're just very narrow-minded in that way. Now there's a lot of great parents out there, too. Say you have your son, and he plays all the way up into the eighth grade of a full year-long club program, basketball program, and goes a couple camps a year, Shoes, everything he needs. Uh, I was estimating it's probably gonna be around close to thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's just one sport. You know, they will um, not have. They, I lost my train of thought there for a minute, but they will. Um, Don't worry, I'll make you sound like a genius. <laughs> Jeez, if you could hear the stuff of Jim, oh my god. <laughs> Have you already cut it out? Oh yeah, yeah. He's got oh, yeah. A, he's got a blooper rule. That see, I got to be nice to Troy because Jim, if I don't, if I cross him, he's going to put some stuff out listen, there. Listen, Scott, Jim will sometimes lose his train of thought for an hour. I got to shut the whole thing down, take a break, and have him rub his head and bring him back up. So yeah. you know, I was impressed well, that Jim did numbers there. Jim did numbers. How about that? Oh, that you, was uh, that was like off my head. I didn't have a calculator. Didn't have a piece of paper in front of me. Usually, Scott, he's like Jethro Bodine. He's like counting knots and things. But the other aspect of it is, I'm going to look and find the best opportunities that he can develop character, life sure. skills through his experiences. And I feel like a lot of organizations. I've been around and I've seen it. They talk about, hey, we do this and we develop character and we, we develop your kid in these areas. But it's almost like lip service. Who, who's going to win this uh, final, Jimmy and Scott? Who's going to win it? You saw last night the Cavs. Oh, I, I go, I mean, I, from the beginning, I'd go with Golden State. Well, it's reason, easy to say well, this but, morning. But no, no, no. What I'm saying is there's a reason why. Let me, let me, hear me out on this. Okay? Right. I'll give you reasons. Okay. One is this, I feel like the way they play, I, I think they move much better. They they space the floor, they move at the basketball, they're, they're harder to guard. I think Cleveland's more stationary at times, isolated, and I think it's easier to guard them. I also think Golden State's bench, you've seen it last night, I mean, they their Unreal. bench is loaded. Warriors in what? I think uh, six. Warriors in six. Scott? 
I think it's going to be, I think everything Jim said was spot on. Uh, I think it's going to be the Warriors in seven. I think that the Warriors, um, they're, just a, they're just a better team. I don't see team necessarily in Cleveland. Yeah. You know, Jim, you just said it. you got three very skilled, mm-hmm. you know, highly athletic uh, individuals and all-stars in Cleveland, but I, I don't see them playing the way Golden State does. Right. Now, every game's adjustments, and the Cavs will be better in the second game. And when people look at series and they're like, oh, it's over, like Golden State's going to win in four, they're going to run away with it. Sunday night is going to be a different game, and I'm sure it's going to be competitive. I got the and Cavs. I, I would say I got the Cavs in seven. I would say almost seven, maybe Golden State. I said six, but I he's got to, he's got a let's go Cavs down in the studio right down here because he used to live in Cleveland. I used to live there and go to Richfield Coliseum and saw Mark Price, who was kind of like Steph Curry before Steph Curry. I don't know if you remember sure. Mark. Man, oh yeah, he could really shoot. We had a great team. We had Larry Nance. We had Brad Doherty. We had Hot Rod Williams. We had Greg Elo. The only thing we didn't have, Michael Jordan, and that. <laughs> It killed us. That's every- the difference. Oh. Hey, going back to that I, though, if you ask Steve, if Steve Kerr could be totally honest, and you're able to ask him a question, say who would win, Golden State or Chicago Bulls? Bulls. Which team's better? Bulls. What, what would we say? Bulls. You know, I, you, I think you're right. He probably would answer Chicago, but it'd be interesting to hear how he backs that answer up. You'd need to get him in a bar and get about seven beers in him and say, <laughs> okay, Bulls or Warriors, to really, in, in Vino Veritas, you'd find out the truth, and it would be the Bulls. I guarantee you sure. the Bulls. Because Michael would kill to win. Remember when he tried to rip Reggie Miller's the top of his head off? Oh, Remember he grabbed his and tried to – there's never been anyone that competed like Michael competed, ever. No, no, you're right. You know, speaking of that, though, his daughter is, what, is she going to be a senior next year? Or where is she right now? <laughs> She'll be a freshman next year. She's only going to be a freshman in high school? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. So she Holy had, cow, you're talking about, like, Florida and everybody else, and she's only a freshman. Wow. Yeah, she had, I think she had 25 high school varsity goals last year for her soccer team. Wow. Yeah. She's so good. good. She's a good player. Scott does send out an email, and he's got great stuff. I mean, he'll send an email. It might just have, like, a little quote. It might have an article with a link on it, um, a lot of life skill-related stuff that's great stuff that I love to see and read. You know, if you wanted to, they could, I could put the email on the site, tell them to email sure. you, and you could put them on the list. What, what email would they send something to, Scott? It would be Coach Homer, just like Homer Simpson. Don't, don't, don't. And it's at Mac. MAC.com. And I'll add anybody that wants to be on the email list. Um, it started out as just emails to coaches, and then it turned into um, leaders of businesses and, and things like that. And some of, the, some of the stuff won't apply to them. I'll send out coaching stuff. I'll send out basketball stuff. It might be soccer something, leadership something. But, um, but, but you, have, you, have even, you have Jacques Vaughn. He has uh, Grant Hill. Um, Van Gundy and Stan Van Gundy on it. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's quite a few people on it. Yeah, Scott, you were great. Thank you so much, man. No, thank you guys. Really, it's an honor, honor to be here. You guys, are, you do a fantastic job. I love listening to the podcast. Scott, again, take care. God bless, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Appreciate you, Jim. This is the Jim Huber Show. Mm, I reckon some people fascinated as being sports talk or. Mm, something like that, you know, with French fried taters and all that mm, stuff. I, I view Jimmy as more of a, the man waving his arms at the windmill in a book card I read and most of it by. I reckon I didn't understand a lot of it, but that's Jimmy to me. Mm-hmm. 
I liked it. We got the same hair cut, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jim Huber show. Jimmy, 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 Jimmy Huber. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's got a head like a razor blade, bullet top, Kaiser blade, some folks call her sling blade, haircut there, hair by Minwax, and that's Jimmy Huber. Mm-hmm. <laughs>